This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Reverberations. Produced by Alan Meany. How I started off with poetry, um, I suppose it's one of those like many pronged answers for me because uh, I started writing pretty young. Um, I didn't know about poetry specifically till about 15, 16. And maybe in terms of getting into the scene, I didn't start till I was about 18 in college. And it was through slam poetry and then getting into, into varsity poetry slam in Dublin. And that's pretty much it, yeah. I was already writing before um, studying poetry in school. I suppose um, English was my favorite subject anyway. So it was a nice outlet of expression. And it was one of those classes that was enjoyable because it gave me many ways of, um, I suppose, examining the English language as well as just in my private life being an avid reader and stuff like that. So it was a combination of many things. I was always writing, um, what did I used to call them? I don't remember what I used to call them, but I just wrote poems, predominantly um, about stupid boys, about religion, about family, thoughts and feelings. I used to call it my book of thoughts when I was much younger. I suppose writing was born out of the solitude I enjoyed from reading. And as you know, when you take something in, you need to find a way to process it back out. And so, yeah, it's always been a private thing for me. Um, I suppose it became public when I was in college and tried slamming, as opposed to privately writing. So in college, I don't know, it was part of a literary society in college and they, there was a slam call out and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. That's, yeah, it was, it was pretty much that simple. And I had friends that were quite encouraging that knew I kind of wrote and hid my copies and stuff. So they were really encouraging. I remember my whole group of friends in college came out for my first slam, as embarrassing as it was. <laughs> I still get nervous. It's like, I don't think people understand or they just don't think it's something that happens to me because I've been performing for a while. But yeah, I get nervous at every show, every performance. Oh, I usually have my stuff learned off and if it's a new piece and I want to do it and I haven't learned it off, yeah, I could probably have my copy with me. But generally speaking, because my stuff is based on performance, I would perform it without my words. about maybe 10, 11. Um, I think part of growing up quite working class, growing up in Longford, growing up where um, I probably had to take care of myself much longer than 
the average kid, I would just after school go into the library. And language has always been, I suppose, a safety. There's always been a safety around language and books and the shelves and kind of being lost between, because I was quite small child at 12, <laughs> being lost between the aisles and not being able to be found literally and figuratively. Also, I've always grown up with a lot of language in my life. I learned French as a child. I learned Yoruba as a child. I learned English as a child. Um, and so, and I learned like, I learned to understand like a different variant of Yoruba within my ethnic group. And so language has always been around me constantly demanding my attention. Speaking a language and writing a language that isn't English are very, is very, very difficult. So with my traditional languages, I, I probably speak and understand it way better than I can write it. And I'm very, I'm the type of person that likes to give homage and respect to language and words and what they do. And when I get to a space where I eventually am writing in my traditional language, I would like to have a better understanding of it first before I learn how to manipulate it. I suppose you could call it poetry. There's different ways that Yoruba specifically can be manipulated uh, beyond its regular speaking form. And it is incredibly beautiful. One would be, um, there's something called an oriki. I'm not too sure what the English word for it is, but it's kind of like a eulogizing of a person's ancestral lineage and that person's addition to that, their lineage. So basically, um, your grandparents or your mom would know your oriki and it is basically said quite poetically in order to honor you as the person. There's also um, the eulogizing of kings. Uh, and gods in my tradition, and that's quite poetic as well. So the language itself is very easily and beautifully manipulated once you understand how to use it. There was no poetry going on in Longford, which is stuff. <laughs> it was Longford. But I think the best part of Longford for me was growing up in Skowera, um, Man Skowera, the convent school in Longford town. Um, that was a strong, I suppose, push towards using your talents and your arts. And I think I got a lot of freedom in my primary and secondary school to be able to use my talents quite effectively and explore these parts of myself or the beginnings of those parts of myself because they didn't, like me being interested in poetry and performance and creative arts is, is not an isolated incident that happened in college. Um, growing up in primary and secondary school, I had, I was in three plays by the time I was 16. Like, it was just one of those things. And that's in the back arse of nowhere kind of town, you know, um, or being able to be exposed to being part of the National Children's Choir or learning the tin whistle or learning how to act at 12 or being given the responsibility of like, I remember one time in secondary school, I was given the responsibility of being allowed five minutes on the intercom. You know how incredible the intercom is. That's the whole, it's the microphone of power when you're 17. <laughs> and I was allowed nearish for an entire week, every day for five minutes. I would just come up with all sorts of, cause it was like a healthy eating week. And I was part of 
the young social innovators and I was the PRO and so I there was like the team that I was part of there was like a different thing happening every day to promote healthy eating and um, taking care of yourself blah 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 and I would just come up with different ways of advertising whatever was going to happen during lunchtime including taking jabs at the teachers and it was just something that was really fun and funny and um, I think a lot of people were quite surprised about it so much so that there was a petition started in the school that had over a hundred signatures to get me to be a permanent intercomer <laughs> and there were teachers that signed it as well it was it was fascinating <laughs> I remember there was a particular one that I had written and it had to do with um, we were playing football that lunchtime and I remember saying something like oh uh, make sure to watch out for Mr. Heaney and his belly like all of this stuff <laughs> like get your football boots and like all of these silly puns and like just things that would lighten the mood just before lunch or just before break and have people laughing and I, like I would start off the intercom like, hey, good morning, man, school, where at? Like all these like random radio voice things that I've seen on the internet at that age and replicating it and it happened to sound good. <laughs> firm believer of being both um, and I think that there is a word for it it's an ambivert um, I think I'm an ambivert yeah there's times where I definitely need my space I need to be alone I need long spells to write or to create or to just not be around people and also because I'm more I I think I'm more of a performer than just a writer not that being a writer is any, there's anything wrong with it, or if you're just a writer, there's anything wrong. But I think I'm, I feel more alive performing than writing. I feel like writing is the gateway for me to just perform. So um, the performance is more the passion. <sighs> Ooh, nowadays, um, I think I'm writing a lot more about societal issues, um, looking at things from wider lenses, less about myself. Um, I think when I started writing, it needed to be about the expression of self and the understanding of self. Whereas right now, I think I write more for other people as well as self. Um, I'm writing more about uncomfortable themes like pride and shame and sex and sensuality and um, what it means to be free and what does freedom look like and what do you do with freedom and all these multi-layered things that I'm still pretty much a baby in understanding. Oddly enough, I haven't watched a spoken word video in a long time. Um, I think when I was younger, I used to binge watch a lot of Def Jam, a lot of button poetry, a lot of poetry sites and stuff like that. Um, now more than ever, I, I actually listen to completely different things. I watch 
philosophy videos. Um, I watch videos on how to be better persons and um, all these odd talks by people who aren't even 50, but they're educating the masses. I watch TED Talks. I watch podcast videos um, from strange people. <laughs> Joe Rogan has exposed me, I suppose, to a lot of interesting types of people, from rappers to scientists. Um, so that's kind of what I'm at. Um, I believe the word of collective were right after my slam, my InterVarsity slam participation. I suppose they were a great platform for me to kick off and be noticed beyond just being in a poetry scene, um, which was which I'm always grateful for. Um, it was the perfect platform for a beginner and I'm glad I had it. Kind of saw it as a way of me improving my performance ability so if i had something to go up against um it would force me to be better so it wasn't necessarily um a deterrent or a negative thing for me a long time ago i did like an open mic um i'd learned a new poem got up there forgot everything and then recently the show that i was talking to you about earlier on friday see true it, it didn't Performance-wise, it was completely fine. I remembered all my lines, but everything else, like, went absolutely wrong. Like, the, the guitar, the electric guitar couldn't be plugged in without it ruining every other sound. Um, the mics stopped working. The uh, visuals, we couldn't put up visuals because it was clashing with something else. Like, everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong, and... It was one of those, the show must go on. And everything started probably going wrong maybe an hour and a half before showtime. And we were like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> and obviously when you're in it, it feels like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And you're like, everybody will notice it is horrible. The show went terrible. And when we got out there at the end of the show, everybody was like, oh my God, it was amazing. And we were like... And we kind of ended up being the negative energy in the room because we were looking at everybody else like, what are you on? It was terrible. But um, so it was, I, I learned something really important about not taking away the joy that other people feel or have felt during my performances um, that night because I was hypercritical. Um, that was a really important and frustrating lesson. Um, so I had to kind of meet everybody else with, okay, I feel shit about it, but you enjoyed it and I don't want to kind of mar your vision of what just happened. I suppose they're all kind of linked to poetry, whether I like it or not, but I think the least poetic thing I will be doing will be in this year's Dublin Fringe with um, Scotty 
um, Scotty and Friends Limited in collaboration with Dublin Fringe Festival. Um, it's called Things I've Always Wanted to Tell You. So it's, um, I suppose, it's a dinner party visual. Um, it's ideas and thoughts about class system in Ireland and what we've experienced in our different um, versions of working class and talking about it, but there's no poetry in it. There's none of my actual poems in it. So it's me performing for the first time with no poetry. So that would be interesting um, to see if I am as great a performer as I am perceived without the poetry element. Um, so yeah, new spots, new things. I guess the word is acting, but because it's still theater, um, I think of... I think of it more as performance. I, um, again, because I respect art in all its forms, I wouldn't call myself an actress or an actor, mainly because I haven't studied it. I haven't um, focused on it as an art, an art form. So I don't want to claim a title that I have very little, that I've engaged very little with. But performance, I'm comfortable with performance because, or I suppose it's easier for me to call things like that performance because then I don't feel like I'm pretending or um, I'm lying about my talent or my capabilities. Um, I think it's pretty small. I think most poets know every other poet. Um, and if you don't know a poet and you're a poet, it's likely that your friend poet knows that person or you know what they look like and you just don't know their name. So that happens to me a lot. Um, so I would probably know almost all the poets based on either their name or their face and a few both. Um, so it's a very small community of people. Um, also it's very, it's very interesting community of people. Um, I love that recently it feels like, uh, poetry is going from underground to overground in a sense. Um, now poetry is being demanded to merge in with other things. Like one of the most recent things I did was work with Concern Worldwide or, um, or work with, Irish Cancer Society on creating a poem to go with Marathon in a Month and things like that are like really interesting because it's very corporate, it's very um, feeding the masses and then using poetry as an avenue is very interesting and I think poetry is being maybe perhaps a bit more appreciated in some circles. I think because there are a lot more people engaging in it, um, not all of them are great, which is just factual. There's a lot of oversaturation as well um, of mediocrity um to be fair but i don't mind that um i think that's okay i think that's necessary when things start becoming part of pop culture um and so i'm quite appreciative of the influx of people like going into the spoken word scene or the poetry scene it like every other avenue of making money or every other art form um the best i suppose rise to the top but 
all the people in the middle help the uh, the top float. That makes sense. For me, anyway, it's dependent on the year. Um, since I've started, I've had a year. I think I went a year where I was just doing poetry and I didn't have uh, any other form of income. And it was great most of the time. And I could sustain a living on it, which was fascinating. And so when I discovered that it is possible to sustain a living on it, it then became about the consistency and the quality of the income. So you get a lot of um, people not paying you on time. Um, it's part of the disrespect that po poets or poetry um, has uh, or comes with. I think because mainly it's an art form anyway. Art usually gets a lot of disrespect in terms of money um, because people are interested in the talent, but they, even though they can't do it, they don't value the time it takes for you to do it. Um, so you get a lot of people undervaluing your talent, especially when poetry is something that can be done like, not done or when you finish a poem, it's done in, you have two minutes, you have a two and a half minute poem, a three minute poem. So when people look at your work as a three minute um, product rather than the couple of days or weeks that it took you to come up with it, the amount of books you probably had to read to get a clearer thinking, to write the poem, like all of these things, because they don't know the processes that go into creating a poem, they undervalue it vastly. Um, so I get a lot of that. I get a lot of having to fight for my rights as a poet and what I deserve to be paid, which happens a lot. I've learned how to be my own manager, my own PR, my own everything else. And, and when you demand what you think you deserve, people will either pay up or respect it and, and leave you alone. And what happens also is that you, they get an increase, an increased perceived value of you. So if they think that you're worth for a particular project, 200 euro, and you said 750 euro, take it or leave it, and you don't back down, and they leave you alone, and they don't, can't afford it, they still know that this is what you think you're worth, and thus, if you are still as incredible as you think you are, eventually they'll pay you that money if they need you, or they'll get a less quality poet that would take less. That's just my personal opinion. And I really think that... Um, I really wish and I really hope that at some stage all the really, really good poets stop taking less than they des deserve because they're ruining it for everybody else. <laughs> so if you, Seamus, who is actually an amazing poet, this is a random name, it's linked to no poet, but if Seamus is taking 250 euro and Seamus is one of the baddest, the best to do it out there, they're going to offer me 250 euro. And that's annoying, especially when Seamus is worth 750 euro. You know? Um, so I'd employ every poet to demand more.
the poem that I wrote, I wrote in New York while I was on holidays, actually. Um, it was in the middle of a flood, so the government said. I got caught in the middle of a rain, flood, storm thingy, and had lightning, lightning and all of that, and I was stuck under a bus stop uh, with a large shelter, and I just kind of sat in a lotus position on the bench under this bus stop and wrote about the rain. And I felt like it was hilarious that I went on holidays away from Ireland and it rained. <laughs> um, but most of all, that Ireland and New York had that one thing in common that weekend, that they just both rained, and heavily so. And it was fascinating, because I thought about rain in terms of how it aids whatever you've planted in the soil. So it was basically me questioning, not just New York, but everywhere I go, um, what have you planted and is your rain opinionated as a result? While I sat down to write, I was like getting all these ideas and ferociously writing. So it was more that I was getting all these philosophical thoughts about what I was writing about. So I was sitting there and an African-American lady was trying to get out of the rain. She was much older. And she sat on the bench at the other end and she just watched me for most of the time while I was writing. And right in front of us was all these NYPD cars. And it was just them. It was just their cars. And they were trying to, I think they were trying to put down barriers for the flood or whatever, for it not to come onto the pavement. And I remember in that moment while I was writing, I was thinking about the visuals of all of this and the optics and I was thinking about how unafraid I was of the NYPD. And not in a, haha, I'm not scared. It was more like realizing that the black people that live here fear these group of people. And I, I was sitting here, and they obviously couldn't tell by looking at me that I was black Irish. And I was like enjoying that odd visual and that moment where I realized that I completely was not scared of the police, especially given like how I've learned about the guards and sure they're meant to protect you and half of them are banter anyway. <laughs> so I was thinking about how privileged I was to be so unaf unafraid um, in such a secluded part of New York City being black. And that was an enjoyable part of writing the poem as well, because I was like, oh, goodness, to even, to even be brave enough to ask the city what is planted in their soil and to not mind my business, even in my silence, was really interesting for me. This is Feli Speaks for Reverberations, and the name of my poem is Rain. A muffled roar hungry-looking, growling, a temper. The rain has a temper, darling. It is shouting stones of water at this earth. This part of land is becoming a musical watering hole in the cloud. Collection of sounds, many tonal ways to speak. How dramatic for rain, that only knows how to spit. That is what he is known to do, to spit many into all the seeds that is earth and make it grow, give it life in the soil. I wonder what this city has planted to wake its rain, to make it so opinionated, backed up by the clouds, 
It's dull street today. It's anger when the rain speaks. What makes the dull participant a representative of this house, this section he belonged to, expected of him to just be, to just rain, to just water seeds and give life. So today, tell me what you have planted to make rain roar. I want hope. I want a specific taste of satisfaction, like yam boiled to perfection. You make me nauseous. What a longing I have only bought story from. So many beginnings have happened here in my head in a classic romantic sort of way. So speak to the rain in a way that only you can. Regard its power and the uprooting of what you lay in your soils, what your offsprings will want to plant in the name of love, of what you call love. On some days, it is simply kindness. Hear what the rain is saying. Plant, expect water, but my dear, know this, you may grow just as you wish. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Reverberations. Produced by Alan Meany.